Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Open Floor. I'm Andrew Sharp, and on the other line, from the Washington Post, Ben Golliver. What's up, man? Not too much, Andrew. I'll be honest. The prospect of an Anthony Davis blockbuster trade podcast has sort of been looming over me for a few years now, kind of like a trip to the DMV. Like, you know it's coming. (laughs) You don't really want to have to deal with it. You have to go through the motions of showing them all your paperwork and taking the eye test and the computer test, and hopefully you don't fail that thing. And I guess for me, uh, the concern in the back of my mind, it was like, oh boy, how much are we going to have to slurp the Celtics if they've actually finally pulled this thing off after years of hype? But good news, Andrew, we got here. We're at the DMV. There's no line. We're racing through. (laughs) They printed up the new license in the back, and we're in great shape, and we can all just move forward. Anthony Davis is not going to the Boston Celtics. He's not going to any of these other weird teams that were out there. He's headed to the Los Angeles Lakers. Yeah, it's a tragic defeat for Danny Ainge and my Boston Celtics and and the Eastern Conference as a whole, I would say. But um, but here we are, you know. I mean, we're 96 hours late with our AD emergency pod. Yeah, he uh, hasn't been traded again yet, has he? Uh. <laughs> not yet, not yet. But um, yeah, there's a lot to get through, man. It feels like the whole league has kind of turned on its head over the last four or five days uh i mean yeah, the, the, the trade... funniest thing to me though is like last week i was so uh sure that the lakers were kind of being hoisted up there as like a bargaining chip like here comes these leaked offers right and mm-hmm. it's who are they trying to really negotiate right was it the knicks the celtics like who are they trying to ex- uh, extort more assets from and i mean correct me if i'm wrong did David Griffin just use the Lakers to extort more assets from the Lakers? <laughs> like, did he leak the idea of, okay, we've got, you know, these three guys and this draft pick, and then he's just expecting Rob Polinka to see that report in public and go, oh my God, he, he forgets that it's his own offer. I've got to beat that offer. Now he's throwing in another first round pick and another first round pick and multiple pick swaps. And then at some point, David Griffin's like, all right, I'm just going to let uh, Polinka off the hook here and we'll call it good. Yeah, that's really what it seems like. You look around at the league as the dust has settled and you're like, wait a second. So like what other offers were there? Like what alternatives did David Griffin have? All of which makes the Pelicans side of the deal that much crazier and impressive. But um, but let's start on the Lakers side because, I mean, this is kind of a monumental move for them. And Jake asks, after all the criticism, is the Lakers front office Fully redeemed, considering that they have landed LeBron James and Anthony Davis in the past 12 months. And then additionally, he asks, should the Lakers land a third star or fill out the team with role players using that extra cap space? So, Ben, given the way you introed there, I have a sense where you're going with this. But what's what's your impression of the Lakers after the last couple of days? Well, I think from a short-term standpoint, it's absolutely a win for Rob Palinka, And he was a guy who really, really needed a win. We don't have to go back through all the drama, but Magic resigns. You know, he gets accused of backstabbing. There's, you know, the expose from ESPN.com kind of questioning the Lakers' internal culture. I mean, the pressure was mounting in a big-time way. And I think what Rob Palinka did with this trade, he changed that first sentence when everybody refers to him, right? He's now no longer Kobe's guy. He's the guy Mm -hmm. that made the Anthony Davis trade. 
And that needed to happen because he was a front office executive without an identity. What did people say about him? Uh, well, you know, he's cutthroat like Kobe and a lot of people hate him, right? Like that was sort of his reputation. Now I think his reputation legitimately is a guy who was willing to absorb a ton of risk that could definitely backfire on him to swing for the fences and land, you know, a top five level talent in Anthony Davis in the middle of his prime and potentially set him up uh, as a centerpiece for the Los Angeles Lakers going forward. Um, you know, there's so that's clearly a huge reward for Rob to take on all that risk. But I do think, you know, as we're looking at the dust settling here, there's a lot of ways that this could go wrong for the Lakers, right? I mean, LeBron, yeah. age-wise health concerns. Anthony Davis, you know, in and out of the lineup in past years due to health concerns. The questions surrounding those guys, they have a huge hole in the backcourt now. They don't have a lot of young talent outside of Kyle Kuzma anymore. They're going to have tons of uh, roster holes, including at the center position. I think they're going to want to have a traditional center to at least take some of the burden off of Anthony Davis. That could be an expensive problem to uh, you know address. And you know, from a salary cap standpoint, uh, they do have to make a choice, as the emailer is saying. Do you want that third star, or do you want some of these role players and, and and maybe more modest salaries to kind of fill around those guys? So to me, it absolutely catapults the Lakers back to center stage. It makes them yeah. the Lakers again. They're, it's time to love and hate the Lakers like you know it hasn't really been for the last six years. Uh, but are they really going to be into, get into that contender conversation? I'm not so uh, sure on that. And when you look forward, the risks are monumental. All those draft picks, a lot of them unprotected. Uh, the pick swaps could easily come back to bite them after LeBron retires. And you know, let's let's face it, Anthony Davis, like you know, he could change his mind again in terms of where he wants to play. And uh, if he if he were to leave at some point in the next three or four years, uh, those picks and pick swaps could get really damaging. So uh, I guess my takeaway is. It's great, you know, from a short-term standpoint for the Lakers. It's going to make them so fun to watch and to cover next year in Los Angeles. Uh, yeah. But I'm just glad I'm not in Rob's shoes because I don't think I would have had the stomach to take on all of the risk that he took on. Well, and there was also probably room to drive a, a harder bargain than they drove. Um, and that speaks to, A, how good Anthony Davis is, and B, uh, how desperate the Lakers were to make this deal actually happen, and how dark the alternatives were if they didn't m make this deal happen. And, and that's why I think they didn't actually have as much leverage as it seems, um, and, and why they probably didn't drive a harder bargain. But um, on the outside, like, yeah, a lot of people are going to be able to say, look, like they gave up the farm for this dude and nobody is sure why. Yeah, I don't think I, that they're going to be fully can, redeemed. What? Can I underline that point, though, real quick? The only person who assumed any risk here is Palinka, right? Griffin had mm -hmm. to trade Anthony Davis. Everybody knew that. It was just a matter of when, not if. LeBron and Anthony Davis really didn't assume any risk. They wanted to play together, and if it doesn't work, they can bounce as free agents in the not-too-distant future, right? The only yeah. person who stuck his neck out in any way is Palinka, and as you're pointing out, he stuck it way out there, and he maybe didn't need to go uh, you know, quite as far as he did uh, in, in terms of the actual pieces he put into that deal. Well, and what I wonder about, though, and I liked the trade on Saturday night when it first happened. I mean, I didn't like that it happened on Saturday night. I was enjoying my first day off from the NBA in like three weeks and was walking through Georgetown with my wife and the news came through 
And I like nearly had a breakdown when it was like, oh shit, it's time to start writing about the NBA again. So the timing on this trade could have been a little bit better. Well, I, but- I think I might be able to one-up you on that. I was three quarters of the way up a mountain in Big Sur. <laughs> <laughs> I turned a corner and finally caught a faint cell signal. Oh, time to run down the hill and go find some Wi-Fi. So I was wondering about that. Did you did you have to like abandon your Big Sur trip and just go hole up in a hotel for the night? No, I found a lodge. I was able to, to bang out a call within a couple hours. Uh, it didn't really throw me off that much. The The rest of the trip came together just fine. But uh, no, I can completely empathize with that that moment of panic and the like, are you kidding me feeling? And it's like, it, it, you're try- probably trying to do the rationalization thing of like, eh, can it wait till tomorrow? And then you're like, no, it's the, <laughs> the Anthony Davis trade. It cannot <laughs> wait till tomorrow. You better start typing in place wherever you are. Maybe write it up on your cell phone or, or dictate exactly. it to Siri or something, right? Well, see, that's what I saw. I saw that you filed and I was like, wait a second. Like Ben has been Instagramming from like the, the edge of cliffs. Like did he file this on his cell phone from the middle of nowhere? Yeah. But um, I probably shouldn't have revealed the details. It would have sounded a lot cooler. I would have been like, <laughs> yeah. you know, much more like superpower esque if I uh, hadn't revealed my secrets. No, thankfully there was a lodge that had like semi-stable Wi-Fi. All I really needed to do was send an email of text, right? So it wasn't the end of the world. Yeah, well, um, I'm glad that we both got it done. And, um, and and to go back to where I was, like Saturday night, I really liked the deal in large part because I thought it was creating enough cap space to go sign a third superstar. And that may still be true. I, to me, it's frankly pretty insane that we don't know exactly when this deal is going to be executed. But I like the deal on Saturday night because like, Yes, it's a lot to give up, but if you're giving all of that up to create a genuine title contender for the next two or three years, then like, go do it. Whatever it costs, it will be worth it. You're going to have some title shots at the tail end of LeBron's career in the middle of Anthony Davis's prime, plus a third superstar. Like That makes sense to me. I don't really care as much about the cost in the 2020s as some other people do. Having said that, In the last couple of days, there's now been doubt cast on when this deal is going to get done and whether the Lakers are actually going to have max cap space to go get that third star. And um, to me, the deal, I don't want to get too hot takey because like, either way, they're bringing Anthony Davis to LA and they're going to matter again in a way they haven't for the last six or seven years. So like, it's a win regardless. But the deal is a much more complicated story if they're only going to have $20 million of cap space to build the rest of this team. And like, additionally, I think it's borderline incomprehensible that the Lakers could overpay as much as they did and not have the right to delay the deal until July 30th. So like, that's a, a real failure on Palenka's part if that's the way this plays out. Yeah, I mean, if he gets tripped up on some salary cap loophole he didn't see coming and he thought it was going to be all lined up so he could be making a max offer as soon as you know free agency opens and then it kind of came out after the fact that, oh, no, whoops, sorry, you screwed something up and, <laughs> and you're down $4 million. I mean, that would honestly be like the most Lakers-y trade of all time, right? Like go it all in would. for a superstar and like while also shooting yourself in the foot. Um, yeah. I mean, like I wrote on Saturday night, I was like, okay, well, it looks like this is the end of Lakers jokes for the foreseeable future. And yet here we are with like the most Lakers timeline possible, like a clerical error on Palinka's part. And David Griffin went through this exact same process with Andrew Wiggins 
2014. So you know he understands exactly what's in play and and how much the timing matters. So I don't know. I I don't like the the reporting around the timing of all this has been pretty sketchy. And um, so maybe maybe they do have some sort of handshake agreement that like if the Lakers go sign a star they delay the deal to July 30th and the Lakers add in a second round pick or something like that. But um, yeah, I mean, it just here's seems the thing. like a crazy wild card to me. It's weird, but look, I mean, by the time we get to media day and LeBron has his hands on Anthony Davis's shoulders and those post photographs, I mean, this is all going to be a distant memory, right? Like I think the the prospect of those two guys on the court together it's very exciting. It's something I've talked about for, you know, basically since I think last December where uh, LeBron and AD as a pick and roll pairing, uh, LeBron as a, a guy who can drive and kick and, and Davis can space LeBron as a guy who can get downhill, throw lobs to Davis. Davis is a guy who can step up when Bron's off the court and be the number one option, run everything through him offensively. Uh, Davis as a guy who can cover LeBron's back defensively, which you know needs to happen on a night to night basis. And as a guy who can cover more ground and, and do all of the the things that LeBron just doesn't do anymore at this stage of his career uh, defensively. Mm-hmm. It's like a perfect you know security blanket on that end too. I mean, there's so many reasons to like their basketball pairing. And I think off the court, it kind of works for Anthony Davis too, right? He clearly needs a mentor. Uh, he clearly needs someone to put him onto a bigger platform uh, to, to get him ready for sort of the, the gigantic super duper stardom that has really eluded him in New Orleans. And I think LeBron has been a very willing and active mentor, obviously, uh, you know, playing in all of the, t- uh, the possible gray areas uh, with yeah. the help of Rich Paul. And so I think you know, long story short, even if they don't get the third star, I think it's something that you should, you know, stick with your initial impulse of the excitement factor for these guys, because uh, that's going to be, uh, you know, what we're looking at here for the next 24 months. It's going to be a very exciting show. To me, they're the biggest story in the league. Now that the Warriors are dealing with all of their injuries for next season, I kind of think that they're going to be, you know, center stage. It's going to be an awesome opportunity for Anthony Davis to really introduce himself to the world and show everybody, especially casual fans, uh, what he can do. And he has an ideal guy to play setup for him and uh, somebody in LeBron who's completely invested in Davis's success because maximizing Anthony Davis is the only way LeBron gets to another title. And I think from that standpoint, Look, the check is coming due, right? Like they are going to yeah. be up a creek five years from now. There's no doubt about it. But it doesn't surprise me at all that the Lakers would be willing to take on, uh, you know, that level of you know future danger uh, to pull themselves out of this rut that they've been in for the last six years. Yeah. Well, to that point, I want to read this question from uh, Regicide, who says Anthony Davis is a generational talent, but he just doesn't have quote unquote it. I'm talking the it that Paul Pierce described the Raptors lacking a few years ago. How does a generational talent sweep my Blazers and then not even make the playoffs next year? How does someone who has quote-unquote it slack through a quarter of a season with no injury? And um, I read that question, Ben, because I read it Tuesday morning and my face scrunched up as if I had just smelled like an awful fart on an airplane. Like, I don't understand how people really are out here questioning Anthony Davis. He is so good and so valuable on a good team. And he's been stuck in New Orleans playing with a bunch of spare parts for the last seven or eight years. It's psychotic to me to think that like the Lakers are somehow buying fool's gold this week. And so 
I think to echo what you just said, like the reason it's a win is because Anthony Davis is amazing. And I'm happy for him that he's going to be on a bigger platform in a better situation with a chance to really go show the whole league how great he can be. And um, Yeah, I'm not going to side with Regicide on this one, but I think I'm still of the opinion that Anthony Davis still has a, a decent amount to prove, right? Like I'm with does. you in terms of his pure talent, in, in terms of like the wide variety of things that he could do in a basketball game that so few other people could do. I mean, regardless of position, regardless of size, uh, just the things that he could do. I mean, it's jaw-dropping, and it has been now for six or seven years. Like we, we pretty much know who he is, right? But what Regicide is saying is like, look, Anthony Davis <laughs> hasn't really gotten it done. I'm just going to keep calling him that. Uh, Anthony Davis it. hasn't you know, made a huge mark in the postseason. That's true. Anthony Davis hasn't consistently carried a team to winning records year after year after year. That's true. Now, there's obvious defenses for that. The Pelicans have been, you know, one of the shakiest franchises in the NBA over the last five, six, seven years. He's had some health issues that he does seem like he's worked through most of them. He hasn't had a lot of help around him. Uh, And some of those questions, by the way, are still going to be existing. Like the Lakers are still pretty shaky. Frank Vogel's their coach. Did you remember that? Like some people probably have already forgotten that that happened, right? And I think the rest of their their roster and rotation is not really going to be uh, that impressive by the end of the summer, right? Like even if they get a third star, I mean, it's going to be one of those situations where they're very, very top heavy and relying upon those stars to basically enjoy perfect health if they're going to have, uh, you know, a smooth and, and good season. So I guess my point is I'm with you on a lot of the optimism and the opportunity for Anthony Davis to really break through in a way that he just has never even come close to. But right. he still has questions. He still has some things he's got to check off his uh, his checklist. He does have some things to prove. I'm with you there. And I think if you're going to criticize Anthony Davis and say that a big man like AD can't be the initiator on a contender's offense in the playoffs, like I understand that as well. I just don't understand the people, a a number of people kind of take it a step further and start truthering his, his overall impact and whether like, He's just a, a good stats, bad team guy. And and I just think like people need to look at the context in New Orleans over the last five or six years. And, and it's really easy to be like, oh, well, if he's that great, like why didn't he make the playoffs? Like bottom line is if Anthony Davis had been in the East for the last seven or eight years, he would be a much bigger deal and would have carried teams to the second and probably the Eastern Conference Finals a couple of years. Like He's that good is my is my only point. I'm with you on that. I think the position thing that you mentioned is absolutely a big deal for him. Um, yeah. You know, at the same time though, like it's similar to the Kawhi situation last year. Anthony Davis has created some of these questions with his behavior. He quit on the Pelicans. That happened. Yep. Right. So he can he can make up for that. We saw Kawhi gave him the blueprint. All you got to do is win a title and everybody's going to be a Kawhi fan and people might actually go buy New Balance, right? I mean, like all sorts of crazy things are happening here in the last 12 months. So there's a blueprint for Anthony Davis to kind of answer those questions, win people back. But at the same time, I don't blame people, you know, even Regicide out here for saying, hey, wait a minute, <laughs> Anthony Davis, like, who are you, right? Like, why are you so important that you can just give up on your team in the middle of the season, go make a huge stink at All-Star Weekend, uh, and, you know, all the other things that he's done, go on the shop, uh, and yeah. rather than just playing basketball. And so I understand well, where he's coming from, but I think your point is, this guy is primed to answer those questions because he's going to be in a much better situation. I think that's a very, you know, strong point. Yeah, and as far as what you just said, like Anthony Davis on the shop talking about being the CEO of his own business and his own brand, like 
if he was the CEO, like he had a rough year in charge. <laughs> and so yeah, I think no, he got deposed. There was a coup. Hey, by the way, though, I mean, I think the real takeaway from the shop episode was this a masterful recruiting job by LeBron James or what? Yeah. I mean, and look, that's part of the legend of LeBron is his ability to kind of conjure these super teams out of thin air and um, operate in the margins. And I think it's it's how we'll remember him whenever his career is done. And uh, this was his greatest test of all. Also, probably his shadiest move of all. And so I enjoy it as kind of a coda oh. to the last 10 years with LeBron. Andrew, you ain't seen nothing yet. Just wait till it's Bronny, LeBron, and Anthony <laughs> and Anthony Davis in Space Jam 2. I mean, that's going to be the moment where everyone's going to look around and say, wait a minute, what just happened here? We're in the new well, NBA. Hey, real quick, though, uh, on the Rich Paul angle, the LeBron angle of it, you know, I mentioned earlier who's absorbing risk. I forgot to mention Rich Paul absorbed no risk, right? I mean, Anthony mm -hmm. Davis has flexible future. He could leave as early as next summer if he wanted to, but he's got him in the market where he wants him and to expand that uh, you know, portfolio uh, as much as he possibly can. And then with LeBron, I mean, he, he took care of the guy who's you know, kind of basically put him in a situation where he can have his career. So to me, like, again, when you're looking around who absorbed risk, all of the key parties are going to come out of this thing scot-free, even if it goes bad. Uh, except for Rob Palinka, And I think that's a, a masterful job by an agent, right? You've got to pick out executives. You've got to identify guys who are going to take care of your clients and who are going to, you know, do whatever is possible to sort of cater to your guys when you have those superstar level players. I think in Cleveland, I mean, that was sort of a, almost an adversarial situation at certain points because LeBron wanted so many things or kind of demanded so many things from that front office. And I think what they've got developing here in LA, it's more of a partnership, right? Like, can't you yeah. just see Rich like egging on? Oh, don't worry about the the pick swaps. Come on, Rob. Who cares? Who cares about that? That's that's deep into the future. You can almost <laughs> see that kind of thing playing out, right? Yeah. Well, and by the way, the one thing on the pick swaps is if Anthony Davis does stay in LA, which if you're the Lakers, you have to be assuming you're trading for not just the next three years of Anthony Davis, but the next seven years of Anthony Davis. The picks in the 2020s may not hurt nearly as much as some people imagine. I think a lot of people are looking at this as if it's going to, like, the wheels are going to come off after three years. But, like, if Anthony Davis is still healthy for four, five, six years from now, like, they're going to be in really good shape, in my opinion. And so that's why, again, like, it's a risk. I understand there's a ton of downside on the on the back end of this deal, but, like, pull the trigger if you're the Lakers because the alternatives were talking yourself into Bradley Beal, my guy, as an all-NBA sidekick and then going to sign like Kemba Walker. Like it, it just wasn't great. Your your ceiling was going to be much lower. So I understand why they pulled the trigger. Your Rich Paul point is a really good one. And we got a question from Misha saying, if Rich Paul didn't rep AD, do you guys think this deal gets done? No. And I don't. And can I throw one side question to you on this? Uh, how many other GMs in the league, if they were GM of the Lakers, if they were sitting in Rob Palinka's shoes, would have made this specific trade? I bet there's a few others, but when you're looking at that total haul, you know, the fear of becoming the next Billy King, which I think looms over a lot of these deals, the lack of protections yeah. on these picks, which I think a lot of experienced executives never would have gotten into. I think not only is Rich Paul absolutely a necessary player in this trade, 
But I think having an unseasoned executive facing tons and tons of pressure uh, with Rob Palenka having no track record of having a previous deal blow up in his face, I think that's a necessary component too. Like let's, let's just say Danny Ainge. If Danny Ainge was GM of the Lakers uh, facing the same situation, would he have parted with that many picks and, and swaps and, and the young players? I'm not sure he would have. And actually, I'll go stronger than that. No, I don't no think way. he would have. There's no way. <laughs> There's no way he would have. And, and frankly, part of the legend of the Nets trade over the last few years has been the prevailing assumption that we would never see another deal like that. And so now here we have part two with the Lakers. And granted, AD is 11 years younger than Kevin Garnett was in that deal, which I think makes a huge difference as we evaluate all of it. I don't have a problem with the risk. I think if you have a problem with it, you say, like, just call New Orleans' bluff. Call David Griffith's bluff and see if you can kind of whittle it down because they're going to need some of those picks to trade and build out the rest of the roster over the next few years. And that's where I think it will hurt them more than anything. Giving up that many assets that could have been used in other trades is where the cost could start to um, hurt them a little bit more. But uh, on the Rich Paul side, the, the point I would add to everything you said is that they, like, Rich Paul sabotaging the Lakers locker room halfway through last year, if it, depending on how much credit you want to give him for that, wound up working out great for the Lakers because as the season fell apart, they became, they landed in the lottery, they landed that top five pick, and I think this deal may not have gotten done without that number four pick for the Pelicans. I think that's ultimately what kind of tipped the scales and made this the whole package a lot more attractive to New Orleans. Yeah, so let's look at it from the New Orleans side because I think if you're them, you can pretty much go in any direction. I think it's pretty much one of the most exciting opportunities we've seen to kind of watch a GM or an executive kind of paint his canvas or like his vision of how you Mm -hmm. build around a centerpiece like Zion Williamson because in this week alone, Griffin could either take Darius Garland you know, and have like an elite shooting point guard to go with Zion. He can get another wing, uh, whether it's Culver or whoever else who you plug in, uh, sort of that, you know, maybe a little bit lower ceiling, but a long-term pro who kind of complements and is kind of a, you know, a tertiary option around Zion, or he could potentially flip that pick uh, into other players or additional draft picks. And then on top of that, he's going to have these same types of options all the way through Zion's rookie deal, like almost every single year. Like I kept going back to this idea of like, the best young core everybody looks at was like KD, Russ, and Harden, right? But yep. eventually that team ran into a wall where it's like, well, how else can we get other talent, right? And they even nailed the Ibaka pick. So like they had that as part of their core too. But then at some point it was like, okay, well, how do we move these guys you know, around the edges to support the core? And if the core doesn't fit quite right, if there's personality concerns or offensive fit concerns or whatever else, you're kind of stuck with those. I feel like New Orleans almost has uh, a better situation than the than the uh, Thunder or the Sonics when they drafted Kevin Durant because they have more bites at the apple, uh, mm-hmm. and you know they have a situation where they've got some young guys who they already know what they're about, whether it's Lonzo and Brandon Ingram, and they've got flexibility to go in basically every direction that they want to go. So it's not even like they have to tank to go get that Westbrook pick like uh, Oklahoma City did. Uh, they can try to be competitive right now and still count on this uh, you know, influx of assets going forward for the next five years. I think it's a brilliant place to be in. 
And, okay. you know, for Pelicans fans who have had a really tough two years, I would just be over the moon if I were them. Hey guys, what's up? This is Ben Golliver with Sports Illustrated's Open Floor Podcast. Keeping a healthy lifestyle should be easy, right? You eat veggies, drink green smoothies, exercise to get your heart rate up, and do yoga to bring your heart rate down. Woo. Well, maybe not so easy, but there is something that helps improve everything, and you can do it with your eyes closed. It's sleep. Sleep Number knows what it takes to sleep your best. The Sleep Number 360 Smart Bed lets you choose your ideal firmness, comfort, and support on each side, your Sleep Number setting. It's the perfect solution for couples. These beds are so smart, they respond to your every move and automatically adjust to keep you sleeping comfortably all night. Proven quality sleep is life-changing sleep. And now, for a limited time during the Memorial Day sale, save $1,000 on the new Sleep Number Special Edition Smart Bed, a queen now for only $17.99. You'll only find Sleep Number at Sleep Number stores or by visiting www.sleepnumber.com. That's www.sleepnumber.com. So... I agree that if I were a Pelicans fan, I would be over the moon at how badly it seems we just fleece the Lakers. <laughs> I think that alone, like if you had to trade AD to LA, this was the best possible timeline. And even particularly with the with the chance still to screw them out of max cap space by doing the deal on July 6th, like it's a win for Pelicans fans who have been talking shit about the Lakers for the last 12 months. But Can I play devil's advocate on the outlook that you just sort of outlined there? Please. So I worry that they, that Ingram and Lonzo and Drew Holiday are just good enough to take the Pelicans out of contention for like the best players in future drafts. And they're looking at kind of a a range of like 35 to 45 wins with the core they have now. And I understand that they're going to have assets coming in. They'll have more bites at the apple. But I don't know how good those bites are actually going to be. And I think people have been a little bit rosier on that side of things than is probably reasonable. I mean, the Lakers now know that they're not going to have their draft picks over the next five or six years. And I think that they're going to still be a free agency draw as long as AD is healthy and moving around. And so, like... I understand that there there's value on the back end of this deal, but I worry that the Pelicans are going to be a little bit too good to surround Zion with elite young talent, and then the Lakers picks aren't going to be quite as valuable as they seem now. And I, most of all, don't really understand why New Orleans is supposedly in a hurry to trade number four. If I had number four, I would sit there and take... Darius Garland. I think Darius Garland is going to be really good. And he's the type of young guy that you want to keep around and pair with Zion five years from now. Um, And granted, like if you could flip number four and Ingram for Bradley Beal, you can probably win more over the next few years. But are you really going to have a title nucleus when Zion is in his prime? That's my question. Well, I hate it when we agree, uh, but I'm pretty much with you on taking Garland. So here's how I would approach it. First of all, the roadmap that you laid out makes it clear this number four pick is super duper important because you don't know where the future mm-hmm. Laker picks are going to be. And you do know you've got a number four pick in a draft where, okay, everyone wants to say it's three players, but there's still some very interesting players available to you at number four. 
I think the reason why you're hearing so much trade discussion is because David Griffin's on a roll right now. And he's like, oh, <laughs> you know, like, keep this thing going. <laughs> Let's see what else we can get out there. Who else can we, like, you know, pick off, you know, crazy trade uh, uh, assets from just for this number four pick? I think that a lot of people immediately after the trade rushed this idea that they should pick a wing because they got yeah. Lonzo coming back, because they've got Drew Holiday, and because those two guys are both potentially all defensive level guards and they should be able to play together because Lonzo doesn't really dominate the ball. He's a little bit longer. He can guard twos uh, and Holiday can do the same. So you could switch those guys very interchangeably and you just kind of pencil that in as your backcourt here for the next couple of years. I'm not totally sold on that. First of all, I still really like Lonzo, but to me, because he's not a pure point guard, because he's not that pure lead playmaker, because he's not a shooter, Mm-hmm. I don't think you can identify him as a high-level uh, part of your core going forward. You can't just write that into stone, right? Exactly. Yeah, like you don't make decisions based on the assumption that Lonzo is going to be there for the next seven years. Like right. maybe he's good. Maybe he's good as a bonus in the deal, but like he's not a tentpole. Right. And so what's the most important thing to unlock Zion in the half court offensively? It's spacing, obviously, and vertical spacing. Which player in this draft offers that more than any other right now? Darius Garland, right? I mean, he's the guy who's going to be pulling up Damian Lillard style from five feet beyond the three-point line and cashing yeah. three-pointers. Now, he has other questions about his game. There's no uh, there's no doubt about that. And I think some people are kind of comparing him. Hey, oh, he's like a poor man, Steph Curry, or poor man's Damian Lillard, right? Well, if you're the Pelicans and, you, and you've just watched, your coach, Alvin Gentry, has just coached the Steph Curry-Draymond Green partnership you know, in the Warriors as an assistant, right? And you're thinking, uh-huh. what's the best way to make sure that Zion becomes like the supersized version of Draymond with, you know, even more scoring ability and uh, physicality with the ball in his hands and everything else? That's a pretty easy model to follow. And even if, you know, Garland winds up being like 60% of Steph Curry, that's fine. Yes. That will be that will be very helpful uh, for Zion Williamson. So to me, the idea that okay, you can maybe bring Garland along a little bit more slowly than most young point guards because you have Lonzo and Holiday in place. And then at some point, he would be able to just take over control of that team, you know, be given the keys and grow uh, with Zion. That would be very, very appealing to me if I was the New Orleans Pelicans. Now, the only hiccup, the only hiccup that I see is the personalities because we know Garland is rep by Clutch Sports at Rich Paul. So is everybody good? Like, did the Anthony Davis thing <laughs> leave any hard feelings from ownership? Uh, obviously, Griffin is incredibly pragmatic. You could see that, uh, you know, how he came out in this deal. I'm sure he and Rich Paul continue to enjoy a good relationship dating back to the Cleveland yeah. days. But that would be the one hangup that I would see there. It's like, okay, you know, are you going to be worried about, you know, his buy-in to your organization, um, you know, coming in as a rookie? And I think... You know, if Rich Paul is as good of an agent as he seems, he would be able to address those concerns and he would want the best for his client, which would be part of, you know, being part of a young core, you know, with another superstar that could really grow together and do something special. Yeah. And first of all, it's hilarious how much we agree on this point, Um, because, yeah, I'm completely with you. And if you're Rich Paul, like it makes sense. I really do think that the Pelicans are going to have a chance to be the thunder for a new generation. And Zion is going to show up there, and this team is going to become everybody's second favorite team, and the next five or six years are going to be a lot of fun. But they do need that elite talent alongside him. And I think Garland is is a, is a is worth a shot, let's say. And so... Um, it just it reminds me of like when the T Wolves a couple years ago were picking fifth 
and they had Tom Thibodeau in charge, and they said, all right, well, we have already got our our young guys who are going to be superstars in Cat and Towns, and I believe they had Levine at that point as well. Let's go pick Chris Dunn instead of taking Jamal Murray because we want somebody who can help us win now. And it's like, that's not the move to make because you're still four or five years away regardless. And granted, I don't think Griffin is going to turn around and pick anyone like Chris Dunn. Well, isn't it Hunter? Hunter. Yeah, Hunter's that guy, right? He's like, yeah. oh yeah, plug him in. <laughs> Three and D, he's ready to rock. No, I'm already ready for Phoenix to screw up and take Hunter. I've already penciled that one in. <laughs> well, we'll see what happens and where DeAndre Hunter lands. I just want the Pelicans to aim high because we saw them do this same thing with Anthony Davis where they kind of recognized how great AD was and then tried to sort of accelerate the timetable. And I don't know if you need to do that with Zion. Can I ask you of the pre-draft process, like the videos that go around in terms of guys' workouts and stuff, does Garland have the most impressive videos? I mean, there's not a lot of Zion content going around right now. They probably got him in bubble wrap before draft night. You know, it's like, don't even let him loose in a gymnasium. I feel like Garland's shooting workouts though. It's like, oh, oh, you know? Yeah, it's a it's pretty impressive, and it's funny because I follow this stuff closer than you do, and for about two years, I've been bugging scouting people and draft experts, like Jeremy Wu does the draft at Sports Illustrated, and like a year and a half ago, I hit him up about Garland, saying, look, like this guy has it. He is going to matter. He is going to be at the top of this class. And at that point, he was really kind of in the middle. I think he was ranked like 15th at the end of his high school uh, career. But he just, he is such a pure shooter and is so smooth as a scorer. And he has a lot of those guard skills that you really can't teach. I think that's going to have a lot of value. Granted, like the injury stuff is a huge question. And we didn't see him play basketball for the last 12 months. But I liked what I saw in high school, and I've liked what I've seen over the last two months. Like He's crazy impressive. I mean, underscore the injury stuff because Lonzo and Holiday both have leg issues, knee issues as well, right? So that would be a big risk, and I think that's the one factor. Like If they don't take Garland and that's their explanation, I'm okay with it. I'm cool with it. I hope if they pass on him, though, um, they wind up taking Culver. Uh, yeah, I, I was going to say, Culver's the alternative that would make sense to me if I were a Pelicans fan. Yeah, I, I'm still not sure, though. You were mentioning some fit problems or questions that you might have with Brandon Ingram and Zion Williamson, I think, last week when we were talking about this. Are there some similar fit issues with Ingram, Culver, and Zion? Like That doesn't feel the cleanest to me. I think Culver is probably going to be an okay spot-up shooter, and it will work, but uh, I think he's going to want to have the ball a decent amount. And I guess um, you know he's he's a good playmaker, maybe a very good playmaker, but not like some elite level playmaker. So I don't know. I I would be less excited about that prospect than I would be about Garland. Yeah, I mean, what do you think about Ingram and, and Zion together? Uh, I mean, you like Ingram way too much. Uh, you have for a long time, <laughs> and so I mean, I think that he looked really good when LA went small and just didn't care about defense. And I think the Pelicans, you know, that's probably going to be at least one tool in their box going forward is like trying Zion at the five and just being the most freakishly athletic team. So I think Ingram would get his numbers in those scenarios. Um, yep. But uh, I mean, I think he's the type of guy who you do have to take care of on that second contract. You just pay him and you, and you just continue to hope for development. I think he's about the right things off the court. I don't think he's got that Wiggins personality. I don't think he's going to settle, you know, in terms of you know how he cares about his career and, and that kind of stuff. 
I just don't think he's nearly as valuable as you do, um, largely no, because I, of the shot selection and also some of the, the health concerns and injury issues that's popped up now multiple times here over the last couple of years. Yeah, and I agree that in the New Orleans system, I'm not sure how valuable he is if he doesn't really improve as a three-point shooter. And, you know, his his shooting stroke has looked good since he's a since he was a rookie, but some of his numbers have sort of regressed from the perimeter and like Yeah, I mean his shooting I, stroke looks good cuz he's wide open cuz people give him 18 footers, <laughs> you know. That's true. Well, and look, he's a better fit in theory. I think when people hear Brandon Ingram, they think, "Oh god, just slide him in at 3 next to Zion and you're set for the next 10 years." I'm not sure if that's true if he's not going to be a shooter. I, like you can play him on ball and put him in pick and rolls with Zion as a screener. And like, maybe that works a little bit, but like Zion probably isn't going to be a shooter either. And he's going to need spacing around him. And maybe Brandon Ingram isn't that guy. So like if I were new Orleans fielding trade offers, I would definitely be taking calls on Ingram as well. And probably more so than the fourth pick this week. Um, because you just you're not sure what that fit is really going to look like. Like if they don't get an offer that blows them away, then sure, go into next season and see what you have. But like you're you're right to mention the contract because like Ingram is going to have to get paid a lot of money regardless, uh, just because that's the way the stupid NBA works. And like he's a number two pick, and the pedigree is there, and somebody's going to be able to will, but somebody is going to be willing to throw him 140 million dollars. But um, I, I don't know. Yeah, if, I mean, the good thing for New Orleans, Orleans, they're in position to pay him, right? Like, it's not like they have, you know, they'll, they'll be okay from a flexibility standpoint when it comes time to, to pay him. Um, yeah. Thankfully, they're not I, <laughs> they're not still paying Omer Aishik. I mean, they did for a long time, but I think they're finally out <laughs> from under that one. Well, and the Solomon Hill contract is also almost over. They were, were almost, there's light at the end of the tunnel there. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't know. Ingram is still my nephew, just for the record. I believe in him, not necessarily in New Orleans. But with that, Ben, uh, let's keep it moving because today's show is brought to us by Raycon Guys, it's 2019. Everyone needs a great pair of wireless earbuds. But before you go dropping hundreds of dollars on a pair, you need to check out the wireless earbuds from Raycon. Raycon recently sent me a pair of wireless headphones, and they've been awesome to work out with and great for flights as well. You guys should all check them out. Raycon earbuds start at about half the price of any other premium wireless earbuds on the market, and they sound just as amazing. The company was actually co-founded by Ray J, and celebrities like Snoop Dogg, Cardi B, Melissa Etheridge, Brandy, and J.R. Smith are already obsessed. Ben, tell me a little bit more about Raycon. Well, I'll tell you, they've got two Mount Rushmores full of celebrity endorsements. That's for sure. I mean, what a lineup. <laughs> Raycon's E50 wireless earbuds have totally changed the game for me. They're so comfortable and so easy to take anywhere. Unlike some of your other wireless headphone options, Raycon earbuds are both stylish and discreet with no dangling wires or stems. And of course, they don't just look great. They sound great too. The audio quality is phenomenal. They're easy to put in. They hang out in your ear. They don't overcomplicate things. These headphones are the real deal. Raycon offers their wireless earbuds for everyone in a range of fun colors and at an unbeatable price. Go to buyraycon.com floor to get 20% off your order. That's buyraycon.com floor for 20% off Raycon wireless earbuds. 
If you've been eyeing a pair, now is the time to get an amazing deal. One more time, that's buyraycon.com slash floor. All right, let's get back into it, Ben, because I have one other question on the Lakers side of all this. Brian says, Sharp, in your winners and losers piece, you compared the Lakers trade to the infamous Nets, KG, and Pierce trade and said that AD is 11 years younger. But AD isn't Kevin Garnett in this scenario. LeBron is. He's incomparably great, obviously, but he's about to turn 35. He's played 1,200 games, not including the playoffs, and he just had his first injury-shortened season. What if he can't hold up? What if his game slips? I imagine they've got a one-year window, maybe two. Will it all be worth it? So what do you think, Ben? Because I think that is ultimately, as we've kind of like, as the dust settles after the last 72 hours, the LeBron question was underplayed at the outset and might be the most interesting aspect of all this to me going forward. Well, I think those concerns were underplayed going into last season too, right? I mean, I think we probably discussed it here on this podcast, but I think there was a lot of assumption that just LeBron pencil him in 82 games, you know, 28, 8 and 8. And when he wasn't out there, the Lakers were awful. And I would anticipate kind of the same thing happening again. I mean, Anthony mm-hmm. Davis is... Uh, whole career has been a story of, well, he doesn't have a lot of great talent. He's not good enough to carry a team to a winning record, or at least not year after year after year. Like he can make you interesting. If he goes on an absolute tear, he can get you into the mix, but that's just the nature of his game. That hasn't been the deal. Their margin for error is very thin. They need great health from LeBron and great health from Anthony Davis, or that's probably a lottery team, right? I mean, if, if one of those two things doesn't happen, or if those guys miss extended stretches, they're going to be uh, really in for it. And so I think there's long-term risk, no question about it. But I think there's some real short-term uh, you know, blow-up potential too. Keep in mind, they've got a brand new coach. Keep in mind, they've yep. got some stylistic questions in terms of how does Vogel want to play? How's he going to get along with LeBron? Um, you know, LeBron has, you know, started the season last year playing super duper fast, but that lasted for about a month. Then he got back into more of his slowdown style. Anthony Davis has played up and down like crazy these last couple of years uh, with the Pelicans. That's really when he's put up the best numbers of his career. So there's going to be some tension points to, to iron out. Um, and that's why I'm not ready to sort of crown the Lakers. I mean, I realize the West is absolutely wide open now. You've got Houston kind of melting down. Golden State's going to be taking a step backwards. Uh, Portland, you know, there's questions. Did they max out how far they can go this year? I think the sleeper in the Western Conference is actually the Denver Nuggets. Uh, If I had to bet on anybody to win the West right now, I'm sure they've got amazing odds, and I might actually be tempted to do that. Um, But uh, I think that the emailer's concerns are very valid. This isn't just something where five years from now, this could blow up in their face. Like, we could absolutely be having the same kind of hand-wringing over the Lakers, like, next January that we had this past January. Yeah, and I think it's pretty interesting because you see people, well, first of all, to go back to the first question we got, is the Lakers front office fully redeemed? The Lakers front office won't be fully redeemed until we see them put a coherent team around these two guys. And that's going to be very difficult. And when Is you it going to see... be that hard? I mean, Lance is out there. Beasley's out there. They could do this. <laughs> Probably get JaVale. I mean, there's, there's options. Bring back KCP. Sure. Sign Willie Cauley-Stein. I saw uh, Harrison Barnes opted out. You know, um, there, there are plenty of options oh, out there. Man. The sad part is Harrison Barnes will probably get... 23 million from the Kings, just like the Lakers full cap space. Like their option is to take Harrison Barnes or nobody else. If that's how much room the Lakers have to operate with. 
Yeah, and well, and they're going to be in a tricky spot. And the the first of all, I enjoy that it does still feel like the league is wide open because for a couple hours on Saturday, it looked like the Lakers were going to go sign another superstar and head into next season as like the clear-cut title favorites. And now their future is murkier and they it, like they will absolutely have a title shot next year as long as Anthony Davis and LeBron stay healthy and um obviously like we have to see what else they get. But like I think that they're going to be more on equal footing with six or seven other teams, which is pretty crazy to think about and um and I'm excited for that. But the like the Lakers formula can work if LeBron is LeBron and like I saw people mentioning how great LeBron and Anthony Davis would be defensively but like LeBron just stopped playing defense over the last three years and so I don't think you can really pencil him in to help on that end at this point in his career yeah that you're just saying like Anthony Davis and player x can be great defensively because Anthony Davis can be great defensively Anthony Davis is gonna have to be amazing on on defense to sort of hold everything together the thing is, I keep coming back to this, like they're going to need that third star um, in part because of where LeBron is at this point, And in part because people keep saying like, oh, well, just use that cap space, divide it up among like four role players and they're going to be in good shape. And like, I don't know what role players people think they're going to get with $23 million if that's what they end up having. Like your return on investment for those guys, like if you if you pay Patrick Beverly you want him on the Clippers deal. You don't want him on the $12 million deal that he's about to get this summer. And the same will be true for a number of guys who like theoretically would be great fits in LA, but just are going to be overpaid because a lot of teams have cap space this summer. And that's why like all things being equal, just go get a star and then, and then fill out the, the rest of the roster with spare parts. Okay. So that's, I'm, I'm with you, but which of these stars are actually in play, right? Like, are we ruling Kyrie that's the out? Question. Are we ruling Kyrie out? I don't know. Do you do you, do you think old coffee shop would would take it to take it back to the West Coast? I mean, I feel like if if the full max isn't there, I don't see that sacrifice. You know, because he's number three yeah. on the billboards. He's already been sick of you know having that that uh, secondary treatment in Cleveland, plus the financial sacrifice, plus just all the drama and the headaches that will come with the media. I mean, that doesn't really sound like a Kyrie environment. Maybe he'll you know, be pro- prove me wrong. Um, but that one's hard to see. I love the Kemba idea that came out. I mean, I think, uh, that's a guy who actually, I would love to the Clippers to get to. I mean, I think Kemba and uh, Kawhi would be an awesome pairing for the Clippers. Um, yep. but past that, you know, Jimmy Butler, uh, you would do it if you can do it, but I wouldn't be like, you know, head over heels or like, you know, super excited about him as <laughs> well, from a fit standpoint anyways and so yeah. i don't know like even the third star route has its own hurdles i guess was in my basic point yeah i mean i think you got to aim for Kawhi first of all then Kyrie, and then kemba would make sense as an off-ball shooter who can kind of orbit those two guys and um and then take over when one of them sits like that that makes sense to me. Granted, like he's not a great defender either, but I think if you're the Lakers, you kind of just have to make peace with the idea that you're not going to be a killer defensive team regardless. Um, and maybe Kemba would be willing to take less. Like he's someone who it would make more sense for than someone like Kyrie. Kyrie it would be it would be pretty funny because after like the three years we've heard of him wanting to play with Anthony Davis, like this would really put it to the test. 
and test how real his his fake friendship with LeBron has been over the last six months. <laughs> yeah. So I would be I would be into it. Um, but beyond that, I, all I can say is like the idea that they're gonna go sign three role players and and have that make a lot more sense. Like I don't know, that doesn't hold up for me. Yeah. So you mentioned Kawhi here. Um, that's an interesting one to me because I think over the last week we've actually learned a decent amount about Kawhi. First of all, he's loved being the man. You know, he looked awful mm-hmm. happy after the finals were over and when he's clutching that finals MVP trophy, when he's, you know, standing in front of a million Raptors fans at the championship parade, smoking a cigar on the bus, you know, dousing people in champagne. He really seemed like he liked being the man. It's not the traditional pound your chest, you know, I want to be as famous as possible type guy at all, but he looked like he was in his element. And same deal after he hit that, uh, you know, jumper. Uh, to beat the Sixers after Game Seven, he he liked the attention in those moments, right? Th- that attention's yeah. not coming if he joins the Lakers. So I think that's a hurdle there. I think financially, yeah, well, again, the same the- thing applies with you know uh, Kyrie's sacrifice, trying to sell Kawhi Leonard on taking a pay cut after a Finals MVP uh, and an incredible postseason push and a title. I mean, that's a tough sell. No disrespect to Rob Palinka, but I, I'm I'm, I'm no. struggling to see First that one all- coming together. You know what? I don't even know if Palinka is going to be invited to some of these meetings because it's going to have to be all on LeBron to make any of this happen. And maybe he can it's do it. It's going to be a clutch They're, summit. <laughs> yeah, it, it may be. You're, you're meeting in clutch conference rooms, okay? And also, I would add that, like, they don't even pick up the phone with Kawhi if they don't have max cap space and if the deal isn't delayed until July 30th because you're right. Like, that's a conversation ender right there. But um, it's it's worth a shot, and, and those are the types of moves where you really get the whole league's attention if you can if you can complete this with a third superstar. Whereas if it's like Darren Collison and Danny Green, and you're bringing back Reggie Bullock on the cap hold, then it's like all right, well, like AD and LeBron are both gonna have to play at like an MVP level next year, and we'll see if they could do it. Like you you obviously don't dismiss them, but like the Lakers are further away than they seemed this weekend. Yeah, I hear you. I guess just going back to this idea of we've learned about Kawhi. I mean, I I think some of the lessons we've learned about Kawhi to me would actually favor the Clippers, right? Like they've been lurking there for a while, but if he wants to be the man, he can go be the man. If he wants an organization that will bend over backwards for him, like the Raptors did, I mean, he certainly seemed to enjoy it as he was telling us about how amazing the load management program worked out and everything else and rubbing it in all of his critics' faces after he won the title. The Clippers would be willing to do that. There's no doubt about it. They've you know beefed up their medical staff uh, as well and, and try to take care of the little things. All right. So if, if the pull is, look, I need to go back to Southern California and we're just lining up these destinations, I think even if the Lakers had the max cap space to offer, I think the Clippers have actually positioned themselves better to appeal to what we've learned about Kawhi here over the last couple of weeks. Yeah, and look, put Kawhi on the Clippers across from ad and lebron on the lakers i mean next year's west is gonna be wild because again you're gonna have a bunch of sort of pretty good teams who all have a realistic title shot like there could be five teams in the west next year who enter the season thinking that they're gonna make the nba finals like that's crazy to think about i'll tell you right now i'll take Kawhi's clippers over the lebron ad lakers right now how about you yeah I, I think so too, if, if, particularly if the Lakers are not going to have 
max cap space, um, which again, it's just crazy that we are not really sure. <laughs> uh, and that probably is partly the NBA's stupid CBA rules, but um, it's a wild card well, you know for what I'm, sure. I'm rooting for right now is the Lakers not to get the max cap space and yet still get a star on one of those discounted deals so that we can all do that. Remember the Andre Kirilenko freak out with the Brooklyn Nets? <laughs> yeah. Where he took like that super bargain deal and everyone was convinced like the Russian mafia was involved in like paying him under the table because of Prokhorov and all that. Um, uh-huh. If the Lakers get a third star without having the max cap space, it will be like the Kirilenko thing times 100. I kind of want that to happen well, now. You know what? I'm also rooting for AD to decline his trade kicker, which is like four and a half million dollars on the way from New Orleans to LA, and then be paid like fifteen million dollars by Warner Brothers to star in Space Jam Two. That'd be a fun little controversy for like late July. Well, I just saw on Twitter that he signed with Ruffles, uh, the potato <laughs> the potato chip company. I wonder if he got like a four million deal dollar deal from Ruffles. What do you think? It's entirely possible and i saw that too and i was like oh boy like there aren't a lot of elite sponsors lining up for anthony davis i think he's going to find that even being in la like his problem was not necessarily new orleans his problem is that he's just kind of a boring person so i'm interested to see how much la can sort of help fix that watch your Um, tongue around ruffles okay they've got fifty-eight (laughs) thousand twitter followers that's more than i've got i think more than you've got too so look this is a a heavy hitter i don't know if you're lining up an endorsement deal for anthony davis or not but i'm not so i'm not i'm not no shots at ruffles um all right we got to talk about the boston side of this as well tom says hey guys what is boston's plan now build an offense around two wings that can't dribble or pass uh, what do you think, Ben? Well, I'm actually curious because you've been selling me on this idea for three years of this Anthony Davis <laughs> Celtics trade interest. And that's why I started off comparing to the whole idea of the this podcast to a DMV trip because I've been so concerned that I was going to have to hear about uh, you know, the sons of Danny or how Brad Stevens deserves equity in the franchise. He's going to be the one who yep. pulls like this Hall of Fame level game out of uh, – Anthony Davis, we've been hearing about Kyrie's incredible magnetism towards other superstars. And at this point, it seems like he's basically just like hiding uh, from the Boston Celtics, not even returning their phone calls, <laughs> uh, which, you know, I don't blame him. Uh, this all took a real sharp turn for Celtics fans like yourselves. I'm trying not to be a little, you know, too gleeful here, but I do feel like I <laughs> dodged a major bullet, not with only this podcast, but with like the next three years of podcasts, because yeah, uh, you know the concept of Anthony Davis going and just you know wreaking havoc for the Celtics, you know opening up a real you know dynasty window for them, it was weighing on my soul, it was weighing on my conscience. I'm feeling pretty good right now. Yeah, well, and hearing you outline that reality and that timeline, I too am now feeling good because I am both Celtics lover, Celtics believer. And also, like, long-time Celtics hater. And the idea of the Celtics just owning the East for the next five years would have been um, pretty grim as well. Basically, like, there's no good outcome for me and the Boston Celtics at this point. So it's a tortured relationship. Real quick, before we get to where do they go from here, where did this go wrong for them? Because okay. Danny spent legitimately, I mean, you, at least based on your telepathing of the Celtics interest in Anthony Davis that I've had to listen to for at least once a week for the last three years, this has been a long-term 
commitment of mental focus and a desire from Ainge. And he basically got blown up by Rich Paul multiple times saying, hey, we have no interest in going to your organization. And he still kept coming back, according to the reports. So where'd this thing go wrong? Yeah, I mean, it's incredible. And and the AD interest was always not particularly subtle from the Celtics side of things over the last three or four years. Like they have been openly angling to get him in Boston for years now. And, um, and it was all lining up for this summer, this July, to make the deal. And I wrote about this uh, over the weekend, like in the same way that it took the kind of perfect confluence of luck and intelligence and perfect timing for the Warriors to come together over the last five or six years. Like the Celtics had the same thing happen over the last 12 months where just everything that possibly could have gone wrong went wrong in the most gutting way possible. And you look at like, what they were supposed to be trading for AD, you can start with the Kings pick, which was expected to be a top three, top five pick, landed at 14 instead. The Kings were a, a couple games outside the playoffs somehow. And like, that's number one. But then also like Kyrie kind of poisoning the locker room there alongside, I think the Anthony Davis rumors poisoned the locker room a little bit and, and screwed with their season. And as the season went sideways, Kyrie was no longer committed in Boston, and then suddenly it makes less sense for them to gamble on renting AD for a year and convincing him to stay, because I think Kyrie's recruiting power was real, and if you brought Anthony Davis and paired him with Kyrie, like they would have had a real title shot, and um, and the gamble would have been worth it, but like without him... I, obviously the Celtics decided it wasn't worth it. And uh, and then you go back and look at some of the deals that they didn't do. They probably didn't even think very hard about a Kawhi Leonard deal last year because they didn't want to turn around and trade Jalen Brown when they expected him to be like the, the centerpiece, at least on the player side, of an Anthony Davis deal. And so it's amazing how, how much it has all come crumbling down for the Celtics here. To me, it feels like the Hayward injury is when this all went sideways yep right i mean if i had to circle one event out of all of them because i think the hayward injury wound up changing the Kyrie dynamic right like if hayward's healthy it's more of this like hey we're this super team that can just roast teams night after night you know we've got like star level type guys at every single position we've got this elite defense and it's not quite like the Kyrie ego show that i think the celtics sort of devolved into at times here over the last 12 months so and i also think had he been a star level player, it maybe would have changed expectations for some of the younger guys where they don't quite get uh, as many uh, opportunities and touches and shots in the big moments that they did. So then they became uh, conditioned to expect that, like they deserved it, you know, for, you know, forever going forward. And I think that was part of the tension that you're describing with Kyrie as well. So to me, I just kind of circled that, uh, that Gordon Hayward injury as being sort of the moment that everything sort of uh, came tumbling down. Yeah, And I don't know where they go from here to answer the emailer's question. Like if Kyrie leaves, um, I think that you, you know, you try to, uh, you know, recast yourself as this defense oriented team, the gritty underdogs that they were a couple of years ago, you're going to be able to be competitive, uh, you know, and you know, likely win a playoff series just based on the institutional strength that they've got going there. Um, but I don't see how they get back into the contention window, whether it's none of these free agents seem to have much interest in going to Boston. We haven't seen any real rumors along those lines. Um, they're going to have to pay up to keep Al Horford. 
Uh, I believe he, mm-hmm. he wound up opting out uh, this week as well. So I think you know their only path to really getting back to where they thought they were going to be is Tatum you know, taking monster leaps forward and becoming, you know, a perennial all-star. Like, that's really their only way that they can do this thing. I'm not going to bet against that. Um, but I also think it might take a little bit longer than they need it to. Yeah, and I'm I'm really glad that you highlighted Hayward at the start there because I think that ultimately what happened is that Kyrie was kind of the linchpin to all of this. And once you removed him from the equation, every other plan that the Celtics had began to unravel both this season because you could say that Kyrie was kind of AWOL for parts of this season as well, at least emotionally, and that affected the team. And then obviously going forward with the AD trade, like if Kyrie's not there, that changes their calculus in a, in a big way. And I think a lot of that goes back to Hayward. And, and when Kyrie committed to stay in Boston, Hayward was expected to be his old self. And he looked at Boston as his best shot at winning a title. And I think after like halfway through the year, he looked around and was like, wait a second, these guys may not be that good. And then he reneged on his promise. And then he got very moody after that. And it all kind of went sideways from there. But it does all start with Hayward not being the guy he's supposed to be. Right. I mean, he averaged 11 points per game this year yeah, and, and made $31 million. And all those, like, that's not great return right. on investment. And all those guys had to hear questions about him. Can he come back? Da, 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 da. I mean, it was just peppering them down the stretch, right? He's the X factor of the postseason. All these guys are like, all right, well, he's making $31 million and he's not really doing much. And we're doing everything it's we tough. can to like make it work. I mean, another reason that the Hayward thing came back to bite them is because his decision to sign there was like a pretty big free agency coup for that franchise, right? Like they notoriously had struggled to give free agents before that. So it started to build this image of Boston potentially as this like big time destination, right? Then they get Kyrie, all that momentum starts to go that way. But when you look at the guys who are available this summer, nobody's even checking for Boston. And we heard Rich Paul just like come out and say it in Sports Illustrated. Like we don't want Anthony Davis going there. He doesn't want to be there. And that's a tough Mm -hmm. blow because when you're trying to compete with all these other markets, um, image matters, uh, perception matters, and what you know, other superstar level players are, uh, how they view your team, that matters in your decision too, clearly with, you know, given the prevalence of all these team up scenarios. And I think for Boston, the last couple of years, you know, basically the time that Hayward's been there, it's just lost some of its sheen, you know, it's lost some of its luster. And I think that's tough because it did seem like, you know, for about 18 months there, maybe they were building some momentum in that direction where, they were going to be a place that everybody wanted to flock to. And yeah, I'm not sure that they're there anymore. You know, I like it's tough. If Kyrie just walks for nothing, they miss out on Anthony Davis. They don't get any other stars this summer. And they're just kind of left holding the bag with Hayward's contract, man. That's, that's a tough perception problem. <laughs> it's rough. It's rough. And I personally don't think Danny Ainge really did anything wrong at, at any point in this process. I mean, there are some moves you could second guess and you can go back to last summer and say, all right, trade for Kawhi, go all in. But like, it is what it is. I understand what they were thinking at each stage. Um, I do also understand why there are a lot of people out there who are loving every second of this and, and throwing this in the hate to see it category as the Celtics come crashing down. Uh, that's completely fair as well. I think that what you said about Rich Paul, like that's one thing we did call. When Anthony Davis signed with Clutch last summer, you and I were on the podcast talking about, you know, like 
Every time Rich Paul and LeBron have ever been to Boston, they are probably getting off their flight talking about how much they hate it there and how much they want to beat the Celtics. And that clearly cost them in the end in this uh, because, you know, it, it certainly seemed like the both publicly and behind the scenes, Clutch and Anthony Davis did everything they could to make it clear to Boston that, like, it was going to be a one-year situation. And Kyrie, the guy who may have been able to bridge that divide, is apparently going to Brooklyn. Like, nobody has any idea what Kyrie's going to do, but... It's all right, though. 12-time Tatum will uh, lead the future, anchor a, a new era in Boston, and I'm sure the Celtics are going to be annoyingly fine next year, and we'll probably win, like, 52 games with this ragtag group. Yeah, they're going to get into, like, poor man's Spurs territory, where it's like, you know, we're just going to have to, like, you know, pay our generic praise to them. Oh, what, do you, what can you say about Brad <laughs> and that locked-in team defense? You know, it's just so consistent. They just grind you down. Sure, they, oh, they might not man. go deep in the playoffs, but, boy, that's a team you wouldn't want to have to face. Yeah, well, uh, speaking of uh, the playoffs and not necessarily going as deep as people expected, Elliot says... With all this Rockets drama swirling, I've been thinking about Chris Paul. Starting with, will Chris Paul or James Harden be remembered as the better NBA player? And what is Chris Paul's place in basketball history or even among his peers? Is he a top five point guard all time? A top 25 player all time? Is he a top five player of his generation? What do you think, Ben? And what was your reaction to the the news out of Houston this week? Well, we did kind of call the tension after that game six loss, right? Where Yeah, you did. Yeah, James Harden came on the podium, was acting all weird. And then here it is, like, you know, the reports coming out this week that Chris Paul is a little bit too demonstrative. He's trying to, quote unquote, coach James. And James is looking back at him like, come on, man. Like, you know, you're not even on my level. Like, who are you to tell me what to do? Uh, that none of that stuff surprised me. And it was a great piece by Tim McMahon of ESPN.com. So go ahead and, and check that out. Give that a click and, and a read for sure. Chris Paul is going to be remembered very well by history, but not as well as he will be if they can find a way to kind of mend the fences and get to the finals next season and potentially win a title next season. I think he's a top five point guard. I mean, all the advanced stats love him. His, you know, his long uh, time streaks of all NBA, all defensive selections, uh, you know, stack up very, very well against basically everybody. I think he's a top 25 player. Now, is he a top five player of his generation? I think that gets a little bit more debatable in terms of when do you cut off the generation? But um, yeah, this guy's been doing it for a very long time. And uh, I think you know, his peak was incredibly high. I mean, you could make a, ca- a case that he was an MVP level player there for multiple seasons, uh, you know, a top three level type candidate. Uh, in that situation. So uh, I think his legacy is going to be fine. Unfortunately, he's going to be one of these guys whose personality winds up shading everything, especially, you know, for the next 10 years of conversations, people are going to look at the playoff shortcomings. They're going to look at, uh, you know, him being wound too tightly or or having some meltdowns in the postseason and use that to define him. Um, yeah. But to me, he's he's in very comfortable historical territory, but Harden's going to be viewed as the better NBA player uh, over over Chris Paul by the time he's done. I agree with that. And, and, you know, there was a quote from Tim McMahon's piece that was a Rockets team source saying, Chris has a personality where he just doesn't let anything go. He just keeps pestering and pestering and pestering and pestering. Sometimes James has had enough and not just him. 
That's what makes Paul a winner, and it's also what keeps him from being a big-time winner. He's got to temper that. And he can't. I mean, everybody knows he can't temper that because everybody was saying the same things about him with the Clippers, right? Right, and I don't even know how real it is, but that's certainly how he's going to be remembered if he doesn't ever win. And people are going to point to the tantrums and say, this guy was just wound too tight for the biggest moments in basketball, and that's what cost him in the end. And I don't know. I mean, like, if he hadn't pulled his hamstring at the end of the Warriors series last year, like, that could have gone either way, too. Like, if, if he's at home in Houston with a chance to close them out, like, who knows? And um, I just think I, I called him basketball Sisyphus in the past. Like, there have been so many close calls where Chris Paul fails for reasons that seem inexplicable that I think ascribing all of it to his personality is probably a mistake, but it's probably how we're going to remember him, whether it's fair or not. For sure. And I I mean, it is real. The personality stuff is real. Like he had teammates in LA who would instruct reporters, like, don't ask me about him. I will not answer questions about him. (laughs) Right. I mean, that's a real thing that happened to me. So that tells you how things devolved. I think Doc Rivers has even sort of hinted, you know, pretty directly at some of the personality conflicts that erupted there in the closing years of of that Lob City team. So it's definitely part of it. At the same time, those questions were not leading the Chris Paul conversation eight years ago, back when he's in his prime, when he's putting up 2010s, when he's dicing people up, when he's collecting gold medals, uh, when he's looking like the best point guard in the entire league before Steph Curry came I mean, along. So it, go back to like his Pelicans days. Some of the some of the Pelicans teams that he would carry to the playoffs and, and then what he would do when he got to the playoffs, like this guy was out of his mind in some of those playoff games. And so it just bums me out. Cause I agree that what you what you said, like he, the personality stuff is definitely real, but it's really only half the story. And as the years pass and we continue to see him fail it's sort of like consuming yeah. a lot of other like awesome memories that we should have. Well, the more that his game degrades, the more the personality stuff probably grades on his teammates. Yeah. And, yeah, and the more it comes forward. Just annoying fact check. It was the Hornets days, not the Pelicans days. I'm sure the New Orleans fans will get on us if, mm. if we don't clarify that. Um, but I think, uh, you know, Chris Paul has an interesting narrative because of the different chapters, right? Like he forced his way to LA, but it, wasn't really the LA that he originally thought he was going to. He totally transforms the Clippers franchise, but he doesn't leave as like this beloved franchise icon. It's like DeAndre Jordan got all of that love, you know, and even Blake Griffin got more of that love. Uh, Chris Paul almost leaves in this weird scenario to go to Houston. There's arguably some of the highest moments, especially from the postseason aspect, have come in Houston, but it's also come with him in a reduced role. So he doesn't have this like very neat storyline where all these like chapters like fit together and it all builds towards something. Um, and I do think that that will complicate how people remember him because he's not one of those like, you know, one franchise type stars. Right. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, if you're saying who gets his Jersey retired first from the Clippers, they probably go Deandre or Blake before they go Chris Paul. Right. Yeah, which is really which unfortunate is weird. <laughs> because it was it was Chris Paul who legitimized them. And like that when Blake Griffin was there, they were like a cult league pass team and then Chris Paul showed up and they were contending every year and winning 55 right. games a year for 5 or 6 years. And he like was, he was he, awesome. He was definitely their best player too. That's the weird part to me, yeah. right? But again, not quite as beloved in certain ways and uh, I'm sure, you know, leaving the way he did from New Orleans probably left some hard feelings too. So, 
Uh, and Houston, I mean, I think their fans are ready to trade him right now. Wouldn't you agree? <laughs> so he, <laughs> yeah. He's got a complicated well, story. I think the long story short here is it's not going to be a tidy paragraph summarizing Chris Paul's career, but the headline should be top five point guard all time. Uh, yeah, and I, I'm not quite a as Chris good as Paul John Stockton. I acknowledge his shortcomings. I acknowledge that he looks like a psycho half the time, and that particularly late in his career, his game has become pretty grating. <laughs> but uh, but I do. And Chris Paul at his peak was just awesome. So um, and you know Houston, Andrew Wiggins is reportedly available. So we could just tweet that that hypothetical Chris Paul for Wiggins trade is out there and we'll see how much the Rockets hate Chris Paul uh, would yeah. be my answer on that yeah, one. If you want to talk about complicating Chris Paul's legacy, send him to Minnesota for the, the last years of his career. <laughs> yeah. That'll get the real. final chapter. <laughs> real dark. There you go. Uh, all right. Podium real quick. Jo- Joseph says regarding East versus West in the finals, the East has won seven of the last 15 titles and 15 of the last 30 Thank you for the fact no, check, No, 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 slow down. Don't thank him because I was getting killed on Twitter. Supposedly I was gaslighting you and all these other things. <laughs> Joseph didn't count right. The West has won nine of the last 15 titles. They are nine and six in the last 15 years. That's not eight and seven. So the fact check was incorrect. Are you incorrect. sure about this? I just are you triple sh- I checked I don't know it. what to believe. I, I don't, at yeah, this point, that's the thing with the, you're sitting next to me, fake news Gulliver. Uh, I just don't know. No, you guys... You guys kill me, okay? I understand that this was a big moment that you don't often get your hands on the Larry O'Brien trophy, so you don't really know how to act, but you can simply count the last 15 years. You've got Toronto, you've got two from Miami, you've got one from Cleveland, one from Boston, one from Miami. Detroit was not one of the last 15 years, so the the count was accurate. You said on last podcast, the East has won 40% of the titles. You estimated that off the top of your head. You were dead right. Yes. Your math was correct, Andrew. Nine and six, 40%. I have a couple other facts here for you and Joseph. <laughs> okay. Because you guys are really struggling here. you know. And look, let me just preface this by saying, if you want to make the argument that you think the East is going to be better going forward, I am open to that argument. But if you're going to try to well, muddy the waters, and, and I'm not saying you, I'm just saying all Eastern Conference people in general, that's fine. If you, yes. But if, well, if you want to muddy though. the waters about the last 20 years since the Jordan era, you're completely out of bounds in doing that. The West is 13 and seven. <laughs> the West is 13 and seven in the last 20 finals, nine and six yes. in the last 15 finals in 13 of the past 15 years, the West eighth seed had a better record than the East eighth seed in the last 10 years. Every year, the Western conference as a whole has won more games than the Eastern conference. All right. So this is what I'm talking about when I'm saying, Oh, the show versus triple a, like, it, there's sometimes when you get to the finals, crazy things can happen. One injury can turn the whole thing like we just saw this year and in some other mm-hmm. past years. Going top of the conference versus top of the conference isn't the best method for evaluating which, which conference is better. If you want to look at the top eight versus the top eight or the whole 15 versus the whole 15, there is no question for 20 years the West has been significantly better. And so for people to try to attack my credibility and saying I'm like misconstruing, uh, you know, how the West <laughs> versus the East goes, it's nuts. First of all, learn how to count. You can't even count to 15 on these fact checks. And second of all, keep it real and be honest and don't try to spin things. You know what the show is about. Give the show its respect. All I know, look, man, 
A lie travels halfway around the world before the truth even puts its pants on. All I know is that the East owns the title this year. And truth be told, on the last podcast, I was not even really reading Wikipedia because the internet at the courtyard cut out. And so it is what it is. I, I trust you, though. I trust your numbers. And I need to be very clear that whenever I bring up the East versus the West, I am specifically just screwing with you. It's not part of any ideological argument. So um, yeah, well, I'm not. But I'm the, not as worried about you. You stumbled into the right answer with forty percent on the last episode. <laughs> These other people who you can't give out backpats for fact checks that are just completely wrong. Andrew, come on, you're better than that. Well, the future of the East is going to be pretty interesting too. Yeah. Right, let's see. I don't It'll know. It'll be what great to if both for. Anthony Davis and Kawhi are in LA. I can't wait to see the Eastern yeah. Conference. It's going to be fantastic. It, it could it could get a little dicey, um, uh, and particularly like God only knows what happens to Boston. Uh, we might need Philly to get its shit together for the sake of the Eastern Conference. So hopefully, Embiid is working out. Let's get Ben Simmons in the gym. Work on that jumper. Um, maybe, maybe that's, that's how this story resolves itself. But, um, Ben Simmons has to be your triple A hero. Boy, (laughs) what a twist of fate. How we've come, we've come this far, boy. It's uh, yeah. Maybe, maybe the East is already lost if we're pinning our hopes on Ben Simmons. Um, Kevin says, and we'll end with this a little over a year ago, my buddy Dan and I made custom Raptors slash open floor jerseys. It's true. They did. One said Sharp, uh, and then the other... One was a DeRozan jersey that said Golliver, and then one was a Van Vliet jersey that said Sharp. It was awesome. And then he continues and says, At that point, Ben came on the podcast and mentioned that he'd shared our Instagram handles with friends before learning, through said friends, that Dan had a photo of a giant penis on his Instagram account. To be accurate, it was a facsimile, a dildo, not the real thing. That fateful photo was an outtake from a music video that we were working on at the time. Fast forward a year and change later, and the night after Kawhi hit the game-winning shot over the 76ers, we won the PRISM Prize, Canada's top music video accolade for that very same video. I finished off my acceptance speech by thanking Kawhi, which got the loudest applause of the night. It's funny how life works. A year ago, all of this was a joke, but this spring, we all have trophies. Congrats to Kevin, an OG Open Floor Globe member, and congrats to Raptors fans everywhere. I feel bad. We didn't get to really focus on the Raptors as much as we probably should have, but like that Game 6 was so crazy. But I really am truly happy for all the Raptors fans who have continued listening to this podcast because you guys deserve it. We talked plenty about the Raptors. Forget about that part. Um, I thought okay. the well, we got some complaints about not talking enough. I thought oh. we talked enough about them. Yeah, look, they they had their moment in the sun, and they you know the termites they were really out there you know sunbathing. Let's put it that way. They wanted all the yeah. attention, all the adulation. We we gave them plenty of love here over the last month. I hope they enjoyed it because if Kawhi leaves, oof. Um, no, but also it was a really cool title, and you can go read. I wrote obviously like 4, it was a cool title. It. Come on, <laughs> I'm just a sucker. Whatever it is, what it is. I don't know about all that. I think we gave Toronto plenty of love over the last month, and it was a, a fantastic run for them. There's no doubt about it. Uh, the scenes from the parade were incredible. 
but I thought the real trophy that Kevin was mentioning was the signed jersey that I gave him at the live show for Kevin O'Connor's <laughs> cancer benefit to find out that I'm really only taking second place to his Prism Prize uh, Music Video Award uh, was a real shot at the ego, Andrew, I got to say. Yeah, it's tough. It's tough, you know. But either way, uh, big win for them. Big win for Raptors fans everywhere. I think Marcus Gasol is still drunk somewhere in the middle of Toronto. That parade looked awesome. And um, on that note, Ben, we got to keep it moving because the draft is 48 hours away and you're already in New York. I'm going to be in New York tomorrow morning. And um, yeah, you know, we'll, we'll reconvene on draft night. Sounds great, Andrew. Everybody can check us out on Apple Podcasts by searching for Open Floor. That's two words. Find our page, scroll down. It will say rate and review. Tap five stars. It's just that easy. Help us spread the word. Help us get our review numbers up. We're closing in on 25,000 reviews. We just need about 23,300 more. So help us out there. Also, we're on the world-famous radio.com slash open floor. We got some incredible questions this week. Anthony Davis really brought out the open floor globe. So, guys, keep emailing those questions in. Openfloormail at gmail.com. Openfloormail at gmail.com. Andrew mentioned we're going to be doing a, a show after the draft, instant reaction. So if you've got any thoughts based on who your team picks, who they don't pick, who they pass on, all that good stuff, Email us in on draft night and we'll try to get through those as quickly as we can. I'm on Instagram at ben.goliver. Andrew, until later this week, I'll talk to you. All right, man. Take it easy. Hey.